I've never, I've, I've, I've always had reputation issues with NYP. You know, I, I, I feel like I have very little to lose of the, with the people who still remember me. Because either they already know that I'm a dickhead, or they already know that I'm actually not that much of a dickhead. So they're, you know, uh. <laughs> you do know that that's going to be the opener of the episode, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Joel is already Fuck. there. That is perfect. Oh, uh, it's a recording. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for the invite by the way My pleasure. i'm uh, very happy that i'm not here to throw anyone under the bus oh <laughs> joel said uh, that you would job. yeah joel you promised me that 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 he'd be throwing people under the bus. What's what's going on? No, no, you you, you, you misunderstood. It's my job to throw people under the bus. Right, okay. Been clear for clear for the past couple of episodes. <laughs> literally, literally, like so. We had this episode not too long ago that Joel literally spent half of his time just shitting on one NC after the other, and it was like, okay, okay, Joel, okay. Are there any other NCs you despise or what they're doing? And he's like, yeah, let's take another one. And then starts like hammering <laughs> into them until literally until he started to hammer into the Azerbaijani, uh, secret service or something like this. And then, and then our internet kept getting cut off. <laughs> our, our connection from the thing kept losing again and again. Until we changed topic at which point it was, and open. then it was fine. <laughs> it's a way. I mean, I I think it's 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 really easy to shit on NCs in a in a in a in a youth organization. Like, I feel like part of the charm of UIP is that you learn to work with really incompetent people, because everyone is just young and inexperienced and trying very hard and still thinks that whatever they're doing is very very important to do it their own way, and that's beautiful because. It gives people the opportunity to play around with that, but at the same time, and also it's beautiful because you, in real life, there's so many incompetent people, but at the same time, comparing how EYP is organized versus, let's say, more professional organizations, yeah, <laughs> I, I get I get why there's a lot of shitting on NCs. Like, it makes sense. But not yeah. always. But it's it, it, it makes sense to, to shit not on the effort. Because there's way more effort that goes into it than a lot of organizations, but at the same time, the output sometimes just hurts a bit. Yeah, true. And Joel, that's karma. That's karma from every NC uh, making you choke at that moment. No, I, th- I think it's also fabulous with. Uh, well, uh, as I said, you learn to deal with incompetent people, but you learn to deal with so many different flavors of incompetency. <laughs> like at the point where you get released into real life you know every single time yeah yeah and that's a very very useful skill i'd say well the, the yeah. funny thing is that i found that especially okay over the past 20 episodes so far that we've done is that most of the times we, we actually start shitting on corporations and start talking about how we do things in eyp so much better than in the working world when we talk about feedback culture when we talk about training when we talk about so many of these elements we talk about how bad it is in the real world and how amazing and innovative and stuff it's great in eyp um but then so what what are some of the stuff that you find that we do really really crap in eyp that you've seen in the real world i think there's a very big difference between how um EYP is organized within sessions versus as an organization. And I feel like um, within sessions, feedback, uh, giving feedback and facilitate personal growth and doing training, that is always a very defined part of your role. So people prepare for that, people train for that, and you always know when there's designated moments for feedback um, during which you follow the booklet and you've had your feedback module and then you apply all those techniques, give a very good feedback uh, that's very well packaged and that then is rounded off. But very often at the same time, also at sessions, but especially in the organizational part, the more structural part, um, people don't realize that they're also giving feedback and that they're also needing to apply those soft skills that they're using at, at a session as well. 
So I feel like at that point, everything sometimes just goes completely out of the window um, when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to, to the, the, the standards for training and for communication and for cooperation, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. I think maybe in the, in the professional world, it's more, there's more of a baseline, so to say, because people are less conscious of the way um, they're using feedback, but still a bit conscious. Whilst um, at EYP, it's either you're fully focused on it or you don't even realize it. Mm. Yeah. I, how, how much have you been engaged with EYP outside of sessions, Samuel? I don't know your background because I never did EYP with I, you. Uh, I, uh, no, we did have a session together. Wait, we, uh, oh, right. We LNC, LNC. where you True. were a delegate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, I, uh, I started back <laughs> in... times. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I started back in 2000. I actually checked my session history before this. Uh, I saw 33 events, which I personally felt like, whoa, that's more than I expected. But then you click on three names and you realize, oh, yeah, okay, not that much. Uh, but I was active from 2011 until 2018. And uh, I've mainly focused on the chairing track with a little bit of organizing in between. Yeah. But did you do things outside the and training, sessions? Um, well, I've done T4ET in order to get a lot of training uh, knowledge, which I also found the most important part, but I actually never ended up going to any uh, official training events as a trainer. Uh, so I mainly applied that within the context of sessions. And also in terms of the organization, most of it was uh, having my friends who were in boards uh, bitching about mm-hmm. that. Um, right, right. So I've, 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 I've never actually had my feet deep into the organizational part myself. I could just uh, grab the popcorn and, uh, yeah. Same. I, I feel like I've been purposely avoiding, like, going into yeah. that NC life or into that organization stuff. Because, I don't know, I, I guess maybe it's a commitment thing, but I, I like to work in, like, bursts of energy. Like, do something really intense for a week and just be like, cool, now I'm done with that. Or, okay, yeah, well, I say I'm done with that. I should be doing the post-work and stuff like this that, <laughs> that I don't always end up doing. But, you know, and then be done with it. Whereas in the NC, it's like that constant effort. And like I really take my hat off to the people who are able to do that. Uh, but, yeah, just like yourself, eating the popcorn and kind of watching the shit happen at BNCs and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the politics is just so dramatic as well. It's it's so many, there are so many more people. Like when, when you have a vision for a session, there's this dedicated moment at the start where you come together and you try to align these visions. And if that breaks down, then sure, you have a messed up session. But then after the session, it's over. And when you have that in an NC, it's these long-term power games in which Jews need to be paid and need to be paid back. And I feel like that dynamic uh, fit me less. So I've, I feel like, but also, as you said, that, that, that burst of energy, I feel like this project-based approach gives you really the opportunity to take an idea and just experiment with it. And within the context of that session, experiment with it. And if it doesn't work, then the next session, you'll try something else that fits with that session. But if you're in these long-term committed approaches, you also need to you know, maintain something. And then when you have new ideas about innovation or about how to improve things, it's a whole organization that you actually need to massage through. So I feel, I, I feel like I've mainly focused on sessions partially because of the individual freedom it gives you to yeah, play around, so to say. That's true. It is funny how 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 we are able to like innovate and just try out so many things, and you don't have to kind of seek permission left, right, and center before trying something. You just kind of try something, and if it didn't work, it's like okay, sorry guys, let's try something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's also then uh, knowledge that you can keep and pass on. I feel like that really helps. And of course, this information sharing is also happening at the NC level and between the NCs. And I'm also not entirely sure. Like in, in my period, I saw uh, UAP professionalize a lot. But uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure how, how that has continued through the past uh, three years. But I assume that's getting better and better. I've heard, uh, I've heard the drinking has gone down. I think that's uh, <laughs> maybe a wise thing. Let's say it like that. 
Mm-hmm. Keep coming back to the alcohol. Yeah, and that's the yeah. This is what happens when we get like ODYPs on. <laughs> it's like everything goes back to I I I heard people don't get shit faced and wrecked every night. What and and people actually get a good night's sleep and there's actual discussions about consent. What what what's going on with this organization? I used to be firmly convinced when I was in EYP that part of the most important things you learn within EYP is to function at a very high performance level while sleep deprived, very hungover. Uh, and then I thought, well, this is the real world, right? This is also, you know, you go to conferences, you see, uh, or you go to, um, you know, you see, you see uh, all, the, all, the, all the consultants who are flying around the world and then going partying in every city the next morning, taking the first flight back. And this is something that you're able to do in professional life. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced of that anymore, just as much, <laughs> but I do feel like I, to some extent, retained the skill. And if I retained the skill, I definitely picked it up in EYP. At the same time, I don't feel like it's the most valuable skill it might offer. Yeah, it would be interesting to get, get this perspective from the younger generations as well. Like how how do they see alcohol usage in EYP since it's so different for us and all our guests, apparently. <laughs> I was talking with one of my chairs for Ankara, briefly talking about the podcast. There was a lot of like, yeah, sure. You, do you want to come on the podcast? I was like, but that would make me be one of the old ones. <laughs> yeah it, it was rather confronting also to see like i was I, I looked at the list of names and then i saw a lot of names that i recognized but also a lot of names where i felt like back when i was still active in eyp and felt like you know i'm, I'm, I'm kind of at the center age they already felt old and then you know <laughs> maybe they're just still coming on the podcast i don't know but yeah yeah, but I, I think this is actually a strength of the organization that a lot of knowledge is retained without, and a lot of people who have this knowledge is retained without crowding out new influences. So I feel like the organization is able to progress. Um, like, I feel like also, I feel, I feel like the people who stay in UAP are more a driver of innovation than they are a driver of, uh, than, than that they block it. Yeah. That's At the same true. time, it's kind of cool to see how the organization's also slowly starting to draw on their alumni. Like the IO is having these initiatives for all sorts of alumni programs and all sorts of get-togethers and mentorship programs and other things to draw from the previous members of EYP to benefit the current members as well. Wow. We'll see where that goes. Cool. I mean, there's also a gap to bridge, I assume. But then again, I, I was convinced there were no sessions for two years. So uh, I learned today that's apparently not the case. Um, but yeah, I feel like in order to bridge this gap, it might also be very interesting to have this uh, transition. And, to... mm. and there's, the, there's the gap that uh, Joel keeps talking about, um, about moving between the <clears throat> virtual sessions to now, well, not now, probably soonish uh, actual in-person sessions. So you kind of got that gap of the generation. And then with these almost like couple of years, probably had quite a lot of less sessions, less EYPs, less like constant things happening. So I, I really feel it's going to be kind of interesting to see what actually happens later on this year and how it kind of manages to bounce back a bit being like an event-based organization during a pandemic where events are not the best thing to happen. <laughs> I think it's a, I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm naive, so I'm always hopeful. But I, I, I believe that maybe that that space, uh, like I, I believe that EYP has the ability to select good and bad practices rather well. So I feel like, there's going to be, of course, good things and bad things that come out of that shift. And I feel like EYP is rather good at keeping the things that work uh, simply by the fact that if something works, if some idea works, if some technique works, and if people see that, uh, they will just keep talking about it and they will keep sharing it and they will keep doing it. Mm. And yeah. because this is so decentralized, because this is so much based on an individual sees something happening at a session and then decides to keep repeating it. 
I feel mm. like this 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 helps a lot. Same with the type of energizers that people play. It's always a chair comes up with something, and then their delegates they are really impressed. So they will always, if it's a good idea, they will always keep passing this on to their delegates. And I feel like this this chain of information, this this informal way, mm. kind of helps shape the uh, intellectual treasury of UAP. I've been thinking about that and like what actually in EYP facilitates it. Has it been that we just do sessions so frequently and people get get that, those ideas and get that repetition of that information from participating in sessions and through that having those conversations? Or is it a bigger phenomenon within the organization itself that even now that's something that will have been preserved to a large degree during digital sessions or has there been a lot of things that have been forgotten in that? Also, like, I feel like I've forgotten plenty of the things that have, were important to me two or three years ago when presiding compared to now. Yeah, that knowledge management thing is, is pretty difficult. I mean, yes, we, I feel like we have this thing where we do guides. Well, we used to do lots of guides, well, some guides, and that that I felt was a really cool way to pass this knowledge down and you kind of have it cemented there, but then it just tends to be person to person. And yeah, I think you're right. When it when it is event-based like this, knowledge management is just so difficult. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the, the the guides are great as a as an overview, but whenever I got a guide, I always started going through it thinking which things do I know from real life? Which things have I seen chairs do or which things have I done myself? And then you go through a guide as a as a reference book. Because you know how something works in practice. And if you haven't tried something, maybe it sounds so interesting that you want to try it. But then you first go ask around whether you know anyone who has tried it and try to get some experiences. So I feel like the core of transfer of knowledge within UAP has always been word of mouth. And it's always been an oral tradition, which um, the, the, the guides have always mainly acted as a reference and to structure all that knowledge into one comprehensive framework. Mm. So, yeah, at the same time, given that EYP is clearly fun enough to be able to retain uh, people for a very long time, I'm pretty sure that we're not depleted of experienced people after just a two-year gap. I think that issue might arise in three years, maybe, when that bunch of people who would now have been delegates might not cycle into the organization. Mm. But I, I, I never felt like EYP was... I feel like the constraint on EYP has never been motivated people. It's always been... Um, I, f- I feel like there have always been enough competent people for the amount of sessions we have. Not every session managed to attract those, but in general, I feel like the constraint... Like, say that the European Union would give us twice as much money in order to have twice as many sessions... I think we'd still be able to keep up those standards if we also double the amount of training events and the amount of, because there's so many motivated people that are really happy to, uh, yeah, keep facilitating to, to keep transferring that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's one thing that we were talking about, which was about how, how people can actually be motivated and extremely motivated, especially when they're doing it for free, because, if you're doing it for free, there's the cognitive dissonance where you have to tell yourself you're not stupid. And so you're doing this for a reason, then you need to make up your reasons of why you're doing this. And so we're really great at convincing ourselves and say, well, actually, the reason why I'm doing this is not because I'm getting paid because I'm not. I'm doing this because I get to meet amazing people. I get to learn these cool things. I get to test out new stuff. And we kind of we push ourselves to find these reasons and then we hold on to them. And those probably are actually really good reasons for us to do it. And it's almost like this voluntary basis of it is one of the things that actually motivates us and gets us to, to continue to do it. In general. In general. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that that intrinsic motivation, because you, you do get paid in a way. You don't get paid by money, but you get paid in knowledge mainly and experience. And you get this opportunity to try out 
you get you get a blank canvas in which you can try out however you envision your own role within the session and i feel like this freedom this opportunity to experiment i feel like this is one of the most valuable things EYP offers and i think that is a big part of the motivation have you ever like put into practice one of these kind of experiments and then regretted it afterwards <laughs> uh i regretted it afterwards you mean during a session yeah so like in a session where you're like you know what i want to try out something different and you do it then you're like shit okay yeah, yeah I, I, so when I, the moment i started getting the hang of chairing i felt like um I've, I've i felt like the main things that resonated with me was i was able to uh facilitate this community feeling within a committee um, and this is then what I started to specialize on. Uh, so I'd have very fun, happy committees who really, you know, enjoyed spending their time together. Uh, there was a moment at a session where uh, my topic was actually drug policy. And everyone who came into my committee was convinced my delegates were high. Um, I believe they weren't. Um <laughs> But then at some point I decided, okay, but the academics is also important. For the next session I'm chairing, I'm going to try to make a really good resolution and that's going to be my prime focus. Bad idea. Very bad idea. Um, I think it makes much more sense. So what I learned from that is that it makes much more sense to start with what you have and what you know and start building from there than to try something radically new and abandoning your strong points. Because I feel like afterwards, when I started actually developing my academic abilities as a chair within the UAP, that was because I was um, facilitating committees and getting good enough at that, that I still had the mental space in order to also facilitate the academic part. And then I slowly shifted towards more and more academic, um, but through slow experimentation rather than radical. Mm. Yeah, but that that first session when I tried to be like it completely backfired because I thought really high academic quality and that was my main basis. And then I saw delegates who really, really, really didn't understand the topic. And at the same time, I clung to this goal that I set for myself to have a really high quality academic resolution with delegates who were clearly not able to produce that. And that just led to three days of pure frustration and a GA where, and also a very, very academic president who was in the end very happy with the resolution because, you know, I made sure it was polished in the end, but then having half the delegates in GA not understanding it. And I feel like that's one of the biggest failed experiments that I, I mean, there's probably plenty more, but <laughs> this is the first one that comes to my mind. Yeah, I feel like usually when I tried things out um, in terms of like when I consciously tried new approaches after that, it was always far more carefully, far more well thought through, far more gradually moving into different directions that worked way better. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the UIP failure stories come from this kind of I set a goal of X and didn't adapt that to the reality that I was faced yeah. with. Yeah. Like I think my biggest failing my chairing career at least was a session where I wanted to have a really kind of opposed to as an opposite to their academic goals I had really like I wanted the delegates to be as close in a real life close meaning that they would actually stick together after the session. And I was implementing all these sorts of almost therapy session type of activities in my team building. And although for some, some participants in that session or in my committee that worked really well, and they took a lot away from that, there were delegates that it that was clearly not the approach that would have given them the best experience. And yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. If I set a real strict goal for myself and seeing what kind of people I was dealing with, I was unable to let go of that goal and then just let it, let it flow. 
I also had exactly that once as uh, when I was a teacher's organizer. And I tried to, yeah. And uh, my, 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 my job was facilitate the chaperones and I get a blank, blank slate. And I mainly had chairing, presiding, VPing experience. So it was like, okay, this is my EYP toolbox. Um, organizationally, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. Um, but I have time with them and let's do a lot of team building and make them get along. And then you have these extremely conflicting personalities to the point where you feel like if they're in a committee, it's going to take a lot of effort to make them get along. But I think possibly you could, because first of all, they're delegates, so they fully respect you. And second of all, they're young enough that they're able to, you know, accommodate to that. But then here there's adults and you're there as a 20 something year old trying to make these adults who won't get along see that, you know, there's different approaches and different kind of people. And then you have uh, a chaperone who's like, yeah, but I don't like this person. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. guess they didn't really sign up to be team built. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is also one of the delegates are very, uh, the delegates are very easily like as a chair, you realize how much influence you have on a group of people. And this is one of the biggest things that we learn and that we pass on. And with adults, it, this is still the case, but they're much more stuck within their own mind frame because the younger you are, the more often you are dragged out of your mind frame into something completely new. And the older you get, the less often you're used to changing your opinion or changing your mindset. And that makes it way harder to uh, see new perspectives, I feel, because you're not used to it as much. That's true. And I guess since they've been in that position of power uh, for a long period of time, and they're kind of used to when they set a particular point of view, then that's a view that's then adopted in the classroom. And then suddenly you put those teachers together and it's like, oh, now I set a particular point of view and that's not the one that's being adopted. It's someone else's. Then I guess you have those extra like power struggles and conflicts that go into it. Yeah. And to go back to the previous thing, Nathan, have you, what, what's your example of a goal that you set for yourself and was unable to let go? I'm sure you had one or oh. two during your career. So many. Um <laughs> A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, that's a, okay. Well, one of them is actually kind of similar to, to what you said, Joel, uh, where it would be within Yerevanayas, which is that, okay, so I, back in 2016, I went to this training that changed my life. It was a emotional coaching. So it really kind of rebuilt me in a completely different way. Um, I always said that like EYP, every EYP session gave me a brick uh, to kind of like build something. And then that training gave me architecture to know where to place all these different bricks. And it com completely changed. Uh, it was the most beautiful, beautiful training I went through. And it was all about emotional support, uh, emo emotional management, and how to be there for someone and then how to build kind of support networks amongst teams. And straight after that one, I went to a, <clears throat> a like I had a bunch of sessions that, that year. I think I did like 14 sessions in 12 months, so, something ridiculous that year. And one of them in particular was a, like a, a Ren IS. And then with my buddy group, I kind of implemented all the stuff I learned and it was just the most incredible experience. We became as a buddy group. We were a support network. We weren't there to chat about sharing and about how this, this and that we were there to support each other and to be there in an emotionally connected and deep way. And it was absolutely, absolutely incredible. And what so many of us in that team really needed and kind of learning from that, I thought, Oh, now Yerevan, let's try to do a similar thing. And I kind of had it in my mind. I wanted us to kind of get to that. And you could probably, you may remember in Berlin, and I was trying to like do, yeah, more of these more emotional team building games as opposed to 
the the kind of classic type in order to to bring us closer and closer together and then at one point you, you have this confirmation bias where you see certain things you're like yeah i think we're here but of course they're not there that's you looking for clues and okay audio description now of joel's face joel is going all red he has his nails going up and down his face i think his face is now bleeding from the scratches that he just it, went through being a chair in that team was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Joe, do you want to tell us about your experience in that cat? <laughs> yeah. No, it was like, it was very clear what you were trying to do with this, but just the amount of personal conflict that existed between the participants, even before the session, even before the cat itself, and that formed during the cat, it was way too high, and it was not kind of taken into account. It was like straight from just like plainly disliking these people to go into this like straight to emotionally trying to push it into a supportive, emotionally heavy thing, and I just it was so uncomfortable if you happen to hit. <laughs> the part of the team that was not yours. Yeah. And then it, it came to the extent and th th those issues within the team continued and continued and continued. And there were divides and rifts that were getting wider and wider apart. And <clears throat> that created a lot of issues. And then when we got to the IS uh, itself, first day training, we're trying to go through and things are just not landing. Things are not working. And, at the end of that day with, 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 with the VPs, we kind of sat down and we're like, okay, guys, what's going on? And we kind of had a long chat and we said, yeah, how there's so many issues. We're like, this person doesn't like this person, this person doesn't like this person. And then there's so much distrust and there's so much you can tell there that people aren't saying, but they're feeling. And there's distrust amongst the chess team and the board and vice versa. And I was like, okay, um, shit what do we do so we decided we went into this to the training the next day and we already had our agenda so they knew what they were going to go through all day so we started we got that agenda and we tore it up and we said we've cancelled the second day of training uh instead um we're going to start off with the board we're going to go one by one telling you how we fucked up so i sat down and i said guys i fucked up here I fucked up there. I told you this at this time when actually this was happening. There was this issue with the TOs and I pushed you in order to try to get to this point, but that didn't work because of this and this issue. And I didn't tell you guys about that because of this and this. And just kind of like admitted to every single like fuck up and failure along the way. And then the next, then, then the three VPs went one by one kind of explaining their fuck ups. And then we're like, cool, we've told you our fuck-ups. Uh, we're now going to give you uh, space to kind of ask us questions, to, you know, to say whatever you want to us. No holes barred. And they did. <laughs> they did. They went, they attacked us so hard. And they were like, yeah, like th there were conspiracy theories about some shit that we were doing. And it was like, we, we finally got to hear everything. And they, they really dug into us even harder than we dug into ourselves. And then after going through all of that, we said, okay, we're now going to give you time. We're not going to say how much time, but you have time. You can leave the room. You can go out into the city. You can be in small groups. You can be in a large group. You can do what you want. But we want to give you space to chat shit about us and chat shit about the process and everything and so and then when everyone feels ready we can be back and that was like three hours later or two or three hours later that everyone finally came back and we were ready and then at that point after everyone been chatting shit for all that time uh we came together and then i was removed from the room <laughs> and then they continued their discussions um and like for me, that was an one of the most incredible like leadership experiences of saying, okay, things are not good. Let's just try total honest transparency and see where things go. And I'm not going to say everything was just perfect afterwards and everyone's holding hands, hugging and everything's happy, but it was a much better situation than we were in beforehand because people could feel at least that honesty and speaking up wouldn't be looked down upon. 
maybe not everybody was able to be fully honest all the time, but at least it kind of created a space in which that was something that was more likely to happen. And then I had a lot then uh, well, within the board, like a bunch of us had a whole bunch of one-on-ones afterwards and stuff um, with people talking to us even more about this kind of stuff and then trying to rebuild. So that was a, that was a fun one. And Joel was on the receiving end of that. Yeah. Yeah, it did not help that the entire training up until that point had been a complete disaster in every other way as well. I was like kind of this classic example of the board just delivering the basic EYP training and then the team being like, well, I thought this was supposed to be an IS. Why am I getting a, the same module I was getting in my regional? type of a situation but yeah it was a it, there was there's a lot of interesting nuance there and i think I, I i'm seriously very curious what would have came of a lot of that talk if i hadn't brought up the kind of conflict between the team itself because we were just talking a lot about the conflict between the chairs team and the board but the conflict within the chairs team was not brought up for a really long time until i did and i'm kind of curious and what would have happened if i hadn't done that maybe someone else would have maybe not can't tell luckily we had usr shit star in the group so you know (laughs) it helps (laughs) to uh to, to, to catch on on your on Nathan on your metaphor of uh, all the bricks you get in EYP and how you can turn them into a house I think uh, honesty and vulnerability is a very very big and popular one uh, within EYP and I think you just told a beautiful story of how that also bites back very hard mm-hmm there's this entire school within coaching which says that it's a huge school and I forgot the name of it but which says that the only way, and this is also popular in EYP, which says that the only way to generate personal growth is through pain and through mm. conflict in a way, but specifically also through struggle. So the idea that you can only grow through the process of realizing that something is not working for you and then confronting that head on. Which I, I, I don't believe in this philosophy. I believe that it's also possible to grow through a positive basis, through motivation, through trying to find out what works and just freely experimenting. But I feel like honesty is very... Honesty is a very tricky one there. There's a lot of people in UIP, or there used to be at least, who believe as a holy grail to everything, that as long as we're honest to one another, everything will sort itself out. Hmm. I'm not certain about that one anymore, but I do feel like when you're being honest and you usually then get also very, very unpolished honesty back, it is a very interesting mirror you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a good reason why we do have that in EYP, and that is that we see the opposite. We do have a lot of leaders that are just hide doing everything in their power to hide everything going wrong behind the curtains. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that team, you <laughs> very quickly take a view of, I really don't want to do this myself because this feels so shit. Yeah. Yep. And that was, so one of the things that I kind of admitted uh, to the team and, and wasn't taken too well, and I, and I can understand why, is I tried to implement this leadership approach that's used in Apple. Um, that, that I learned within their like leadership trainings and stuff, which is called uh, first team approach. And I, I still kind of believe in it to an extent, but since Yerevan, my, my belief in it has gone down a lot. And you can see the audiovisual description, Joel is, n- is like saying no with his head, is going side to side. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's really not agreeing with this. But like the first team approach basically is that as a, as a leader, the most important team is your leadership team. (laughs) If you keep your leadership team working well, then the benefits will then trickle down. If your leadership team cannot communicate, cannot work effectively, cannot support each other, then 
the support line for all the other teams is not there. So that's the first team that needs to be taken care of. And it, it, it's, it sounds horrible, right? It's kind of like, if you put things in a hierarchy, it's kind of like saying that the, the leadership team at the top, so like the, the board, et cetera, um, are the first team to be looked after. Then it would be the chairpersons. Then it would be the delegates. Um, and that would be the approach. It's just like, for example, so this, it sounds really controversial at first, but we actually implement it to an extent. If you think about a board member, um, if they see a chairperson with their delegates and they see an issue within the committee, their priority is not to resolve the issue within the com- committee. Their priority is to support the chairperson and to make sure that their buddy group are supported, are working well. And if they have a choice between, do I spend time analyzing this committee and making sure we can get them to their maximum experience or spending more time with the collective of chairpersons in their buddy group to make sure they're more supported and working better together, then in EYP, we tend to select that latter, which is the first team approach. And I kind of applied that on a higher level kind of focusing more on the VPs and saying like, okay, the VPs, editor and HOs, they were, they're, they're, they're my team and I work with them and that's my first team. And the better I can work with them and the better they're supported, the better I help the whole session in general. So for example, one of the things that I admitted that I did was, yes, okay, I've, I, I've been... I do training as a full-time thing. So of course, when training comes up, there's part of me that's like, you know, I do training as a full-time thing. This is my job. Maybe I should try to introduce these new, these concepts. Maybe I should support a lot more when it comes to the cat and stuff like this. But I decided to take a step back and to make sure that it was very much a VP led thing, Uh, whether things were good, whether things were bad, no matter what happened, it would definitely be led by them. And almost kind of like, not wanting it, or, but almost for it to not necessarily go as well. Because if they go through a negative experience, then them as a VP team manage to grow, work together, have a conflict, support each other, become stronger to, to then support during the session. So for me there is basically partially is a potential sacrifice of the chair's experience during their training in order to further a different goal. And I admitted that to the team. And like, that's one thing that kind of Joel was resonating on there a bit. <laughs> yeah. It was also that you were quite vocal about the first team approach in general, which to a chairperson, or at least for me, gave the impression that I cannot approach you. It made mm-hmm. you less approachable as a leader figure in that. And I think... In a larger organization like Apple, that could work when it's a long-term thing. But you need to be able to have leaders that you can create those bonds with. And if you're a chair in an IS and you're unable to create that bond with your vice president and the president is unavailable, then it's just a catastrophe. Like There's no way you can make that relationship work if there's... Like that's the only person you can talk to about it unless you're really lucky. Yep. I do believe the, like you're, you're saying something very interesting that the, like a first team approach, I, I do believe at least I in my latest stages of my EYP career, I did always believe in this sort of approach just for the ability of giving people the room to, as you said, make their own mistakes and learn from those. But to me, that doesn't necessarily entail so when there's a conflict between the interests of a chair and the interests of a committee let's say you're a board member being there and you feel like you have to choose between on the one hand supporting chairs learning uh, the chairs learning experience versus the experience of the delegates at the session uh personally as a board member i would indeed always go for the chair um simply because i feel like the more you it, it has to do with trying to solve the problems. The, the problems, the delegates are fundamentally the problems of the chair. So if you solve it for them, if you try to actually focus on the experience of the delegates purely, 
then you're solving the problem of the chair for them. So you're taking away their job, you're giving their feeling for incompetence. I feel like this is not the way to go. But at the same time, I do feel like, so in that, in that sense, I do feel like if you focus on the chair, you might on the long term benefit the experience of the delegates. But on the short term, I, I think that, that this is not in order to create the best session per se. I think this is in general, indeed, for the organization of EYP as a whole, of growing competent leaders, um, which I think is our main function to give people who are participating in it as much experience as possible um, with leadership. And I feel like in the official scene, there's so much more potential and opportunity for that. And the reason why, even though usually I'm very much in favor of flat hierarchy, uh, at a session, I'd go for such an approach is indeed to, because I feel like the, the, the delegates will more likely get the opportunity to learn something, even if it's badly organized. For a delegate, if your chair is chairing you poorly, that means that you are in a community of delegates who are all together trying to figure out, okay, how do we deal with the chair that is not really giving us what we need? And this is also already by itself a learning experience. So I don't think that from top down trying to be everywhere in order to create the perfect session is the way to go. But on the other hand, I feel like my goal as a high, as for instance, a president or a board member has always been to facilitate that experimentation of people to the greatest extent. So to try and take away as many worries from the chairs that are out of their control and to try and facilitate those. And this has way less to do with actively supporting, for instance, the VPs or the board or the other HOs, but trying to figure out what is on the mind of any participant in the session that shouldn't be on their mind because they should be focused on the thing that they're actually there to learn. I feel like that is much more the core yeah, of the leadership approach that I learned in, in EYP. Mm. So to, to give a, like a very concrete example of this, imagine, so let's say you, you walk into a committee, um, they've just started their topic and you see there that the chairperson is writing the topic on the board and then the chairperson are defined, is defining the key terms, circling them and asking the delegates to write down the key terms. And so you see that happening. Now, in this kind of case, to me, you kind of have two options. One of the options is to somehow intervene sooner rather than later and try to see whether there is a way in which they can take some kind of break. You kind of coach the, coach the chairperson to get them to be more aware of what they're doing, what impact it could have, and these kind of things. So then you can kind of bring them back in. And for me, this would be very much focused on making sure things are going well for the delegates. The other approach would be to kind of say, let's let this happen. Let's see where this goes. And let's have lots of coaching conversations with the chairperson in order for them afterwards to realize what went wrong in the committee and how their what their actions actually impacted that committee in that run. So no longer hypothetically thinking about, oh yeah, they're not going to be able to do this or they're going to be working this way or that way, but they would actually be able to say, okay, yeah, committee work didn't go as well as expected. The experience wasn't what I wanted and why? Because I took this approach and that would be a much deeper learning for the chairperson. So out of those two, or if there's another option, what would you do? I, w- I would say that you could describe core of my learning process within EYP as transitioning from that first to the second approach slowly session by session um, there's this beautiful training module by uh, Marina Manolescu uh, which she taught me in 2013 I believe it's called directive methods and indirective methods and actually when I was in T3T where she was the head trainer in Armenia um, I was mentioning this method and she just walked by and she walked by and she said, oh, you mean this method? And just grabbed it out of her bag, which I still think is one of the greatest magic tricks I've ever seen. Um, So I cherish that. It's still in my room. I sometimes actually just grab it and show it to people or I have the photo and I just share it with people. And the core of of this training module 
is that you start by saying, okay, so you can direct someone to do something or you can advise them. And the people feel like, oh yeah, because if you advise them, you give them far more room to figure out things themselves. And then the list goes on for so much longer to, you know, but you could also only ask questions or you could also, you know, you could give some feedback or um, you could just, listen to their story or you could only summarize what they're saying maybe rephrase it and then at the very bottom is just silently looking at someone and letting them talk and once you realize the extent to which you can help someone with uh simply listening to their problem and not really contributing anything with being in programming we call it a rubber duck where if a programmer is stuck they have a rubber duck on their desk and they just explain their problem to their rubber duck. Uh, and by explaining their problem, they actually find the solution. And I feel like as a rubber duck, you can achieve so much. Um, and it's always slower and it's always less efficient in terms of results. But in terms of the personal growth of the person you're trying to help, um, if you have the time, it is so worthwhile. I've discovered with an OAP to go for a less directive approach. Uh, also because people feel like they have much more ownership about their thought process. And I feel like this is one of the most important things I've learned in UIP. Um, yeah. And, until, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, so on this, let, let's raise, raise the stakes even more. I'm going to go back to the Yerevan example and kind of use exactly what you spoke about there, which for me was the approach I wanted to use is that I very much, I, I'm a huge fan of coaching and I always want to coach, 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 coach. I do not want to be directive. I do not want to kind of say, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. So we're in Yerevan ice and part, part of the organization of the session, there was some big issues happening and there's me having chats with the HO and I always make sure those are coaching conversations. And a lot of times the progress can be slow, may not always kind of go according to plan. And then more, more issues and more issues are happening. And then my, my editor, Anastasia, kind of gives me the feedback to say, you need to move from your coaching approach to a directive approach. You need to say this needs to happen at this time. This is what this person's going to be responsible for. Ask a question, find out more information, find a decision, give that decision to push us this direction. And then I switched into that. I took the feedback on board. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a go. And I did. <laughs> I was very much directive in the things that I was doing. And then I started to see a little bit more positive or impact in terms of the speed of the changes and certain things that were happening. And then we kind of got things back on. And for me, I still kind of look at that and I'm like, mm, I don't like that because I like to stay on this coaching side. But then I kind of had to switch to that more directive side. And unfortunately, I saw a positive result from it. So I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I feel like there's a there's an asymmetry between the teams, of course, um, because um, the teams also, of course, depend on each other a lot. And whilst not, you, you, you basically were forced to choose, if it sounds to me, between on the one hand, the personal development of the HOs and of your own team, because the personal development of your own team was also dependent on the uh, circumstances which they were now focused on rather than focusing on their own learning process. And in that sense, I think... So in, in, in that situation, I think... It's not necessarily an antithesis uh, because it's a, it's a spectrum. So it means that it's always, of course, balancing and balancing between these different interests. And I feel like specifically as a president, I always took it as the as as, as the chairs, of course, is my main responsibility simply because that's what I'm there for. I remember this also very clearly in, I think it was Graz, and I was vice president and you were president, Nathan. And yeah. what I remember from that session uh, it was one of my last sessions VPing, and I remember that I spent most of that session not with the chairs, but doing all the uh, sort of board organizational stuff. So I think I spent half of that session in the chairs room formatting and preparing resolution booklets and making sure that those were all in order in the right way in the format that the chairs needed uh, while you were doing all the coaching. And uh, mm. 
which was very interesting for me because on the one hand, I've always been in the in in, in your school and then also in Maria's school that the uh, non-directive approach is uh, the strongest because that EYP is fundamentally a training organization and that we should try and facilitate this this personal growth through training primarily uh, before all the academic what I'd call busy work. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like it depends. Like I, I'd say that I choose my balance between being more or less directive or being more coaching based or more practicalities and environment based much more on the needs of the chairs team in the moment. And I feel like one of the biggest things I learned in EYP is not necessarily to be just more directive to change my answer to your previous question, uh, but mainly to be more flexible about it and to try Mm. and adapt to the situation, which also ties in with the previous thing of setting goals before the session, which you then need to evolve throughout the session. Yeah. And I think this, uh, as I said, it's very much a scale. And ah. you, you definitely see that also in a committee room. Like there are points when you absolutely, as a board member, need to step in and go, this is not okay. Like if you see so clearly that a chairperson due to their actions is causing some sort of mental trauma to a delegate to like bad uh, team dynamics or just like weird sort of a debriefing like that's a, those there are situations where you literally need to just remove the damaging part of it which sometimes is the chair and that goes for any part of the session whether at some point you realize that we don't have a place to eat food this evening mm. and you know that <laughs> There's only so much coaching you can do to make those things happen. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's it's it has a lot to do with 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 your comfort zone as well, with um, with the the ability to to make because in the end, there, it's always about choices. It's always about choices between uh, well between the different interests of the different people at the session. And then also when you're making that decision between more or less directive, like sometimes very clear cut that a situation clearly asks for a more directive or a less directive approach, but very often it's not. And those are the really interesting cases, I believe. Yeah. And then then I th- I stop believing that there is a right way to do that with NYP. If only because whatever the outcome, it's always going to be a learning experience for a lot of people. Because yeah. either it's poorly arranged and then like we're talking... I mean, for instance, this this very conversation we're having right now, I'm learning a lot from your story of Yerevan. Um, and that is only possible because of the way you made the mistake and because that is a learning moment. And I feel like when you're in the leadership position, it becomes really easy to believe, okay, so now I'm the president, so I'm at the top of this session. And especially, I guess, at an IS, I, I, don't know from experience, but then you're, you're very much able to feel like, okay, this is the moment that I'm not learning anymore. I'm giving back to the organization. And I think those always need to go hand in hand because you're always going to make mistakes. You're always going to learn. And the moment that you say, okay, but now I'm actually going to do it perfectly and take myself out of the equation. Maybe you're not learning that much anymore because unless you make actually those mistakes and experiment with that, that 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 I feel is the is the real driving force within UAP. That you make those choices, mm-hmm. that you see the consequences, that other people see those consequences, and then can adjust their choices to it and learn from one another's mistakes rather than just their own. Well said, well said. Fucking beautiful. As he sips his tea at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm a bit of a hippie. I've always been very naive when it comes to these things. So I've always seen EYP as a very happy place where everything that bad that happens also has a good side and try to give a positive spin. I'm not saying that it always managed or it always worked, but I do believe that it helps the organization if you go into a session with that mindset and it helps the session because there's always opportunities to be found. Mm-hmm. True that. Yeah, uh, I would. I would love to see an EYPer whose biggest learning 
from the organization wasn't from their own mistake. And <laughs> look at that person and know they haven't made it yet. <laughs> Me too. Just a few more, like four more booster shots and we're ready to go and travel again. <laughs> exactly. At the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. Go full Wolverine on that one.